0: the intersection of true crime and real estate, you'll find Crime Estate. I'm Heather. And my name is Elena. As real estate agents and true crime junkies, we view crimes through a different lens. So walk through the door of some of the most notorious true crimes with us and discover
1: how sometimes the scene of the crime has its own story to tell. Ladies, we are back with another Crime State podcast, and this episode is inspired by the historic ghost tour that Alana and I recently went on in DC.
0: While our producer Melanie was here in Dallas, holding down the fort for everybody, she sure was. I think we mentioned in a previous episode that we did this ghost tour in DC, um, and we've mentioned before how I do not like ghosts, or no one does, I guess. But like fear. you seem Big
1: particularly fear. concerned yes, about them,
0: it's weird. Yeah.
1: Well, I don't think you're going to need your holy water today, even though you did threaten to bring that on the trip to (laughs) D.C. with us uh, while we record. But I promise that the story of this house is going
0: to be worth any spine tingles that you might get. My spine was definitely tingling on the ghost tour we did, but it was a lot of fun. The kids had fun, and I think they had extra special fun trying to spook me.
1: Yeah. You should never let kids know about your deepest fears because they will totally dive into that and and try to— Bring them to life for you. It's our fault because we let them listen to the podcast where I've talked about it. And so that was our fault. Yeah. My son has decided he likes to listen to the podcast on the way to school. And so um, earlier this week, we were listening to Sex, Lies, and Videotape. (laughs) And you thankfully had an explicit warning because, you know, it was an older episode, so I I didn't really mm-hmm. remember it. And I was like, no, Miss Alana says it's not for young ears. You got to turn it off.
0: He was so mad. <laughs> oh, didn't listen to it when he got home in his room. <laughs> oh my gosh. But if you're ever in the DC area, definitely check out the ghost tour because that was, it was pretty cool.
1: Yeah. Well, speaking of DC and, you know, history, I guess is what comes to mind when I think of DC. We've got Thanksgiving coming up. Mm-hmm. Like, are y'all ready? Do you have any special family traditions you're excited
0: about? Mm, We don't have any traditions necessarily, except for my mother always cooks dressing. I don't know. Some people call it stuffing, but we call it dressing. Um, And we always, she only does it once a year on Thanksgiving. And so we all look forward to having her dressing. I love that. Yeah.
1: Well, so my husband and I have been together since I was 18. And we started doing Thanksgiving with his family back then. And so that's been his family's holiday you know, ever since. Mm -hmm. Um, But I'm really excited because they're going to be here in Dallas this year. And I think we've mentioned before that our first episode of 2024 is actually going to be the murder house that my husband grew up Mm -hmm. in. So I'm really excited to interview them for the podcast and, you know, see what they remember about the house. We'll, of course, do all the fun Thanksgiving stuff too, but they're going to be here for a week. So we've got plenty Mm -hmm. of time to eat and, and chat murder houses. Yeah, exciting. But for today... We're actually going to be in the great state of Oklahoma. Um, and I'm excited to tell y'all about this house and the family that live there because this home is actually currently for sale. And as I was putting this episode together, I was trying to remember if we've covered another house that was for sale at the
0: time i recording. I think this might be the first one. I think you're right. I think we've covered a lot that were on the market or, or just had recently gone off the market, but not one that was currently on the market.
1: Yeah, so of course, we'll post a link to the listing on our website, crimeestate.com, and all of our socials. But let me start by setting the scene like we always do. Our story today takes place in Seminole, Oklahoma. Now, true story, I lived in Oklahoma for three years, and I had to look up exactly where Seminole is um, because it's a really small town. It's like not one of the, Mm -hmm. you know— It's not Oklahoma City or Tulsa. And if you're picturing a map of Oklahoma in your head, it's in the central part of the state about an hour southeast of Oklahoma City. A sleepy little town that seemed to grow overnight when oil was discovered in 1926. Seminole went from 854 residents to 30,000 residents. And it's right after this big oil boom that William Edward Doc Grisso builds his 12,000 square foot mansion in Seminole at 612 East Wrangler Boulevard. Now, Doc Grisso started his career in the early 1900s when he moved from Arkansas to be the doctor for the Seminole Indian Mission. Back then, a little bit of medical training was sufficient, and even though he hadn't finished medical school, he was able to parlay his training into first that position, and then that of a pharmacist for the town, eventually going on to become the town's medical examiner as well. He moved to Seminole with his first wife, Ollie Bell, and at least two children, but she died in 1907 at the age of 26. And in true Wild West fashion, Doc bartered and traded his services for
0: anything he needed. So people were paying in pigs and cattle and eggs?
1: Yeah, yeah, I think that's probably right. And once he met Maggie, the young and charming clerk at the post office in Tecumseh, Oklahoma, he figured out how to ship some of these bartered goods to Oklahoma City for trade. All of this established a new source of income for him, and he became very good at bartering for his services. Though some will say that the way he went about it is the reason for all of the trouble that later occurred at the Grizzo Mansion, as it was later named. Now, the Seminole tribe believes that Doc Grizzo acquired land and mineral rights in exchange for medical services. Maybe more than was fair or appropriate for the services rendered. And these shady deals went on to make his road to wealth a dark and dishonorable one. So, just a short history of the Seminole nation, which seems appropriate coming into Thanksgiving week. The Seminole were originally from the southeastern region, sort of like southern Georgia and northern Florida but they were forcibly moved to present-day Oklahoma in the 1830s and 40s. For a time, they had self-governance, but in 1898, the US government dissolved the Seminole government and divided its territory among approximately 3,000 enrolled tribe members. Unfortunately, they did little to protect the tribal owners' land rights. So the Seminole nation sits in what was once historically the highest producing oil regions in the world, So through often fraudulent means, many Seminole lost their land holdings and mineral rights. Before his marriage to Maggie, and perhaps the most egregious example of his shady path to wealth, is his marriage to Suda Fixico Wesley, a 15-year-old Seminole who mysteriously died only six months into their marriage. But not before Doc Grizzo's name was added to the deed of the 400 acres she owned. In fact, it's on this 400-acre plot of land that oil was found in 1926 and made Doc Grizzo very wealthy. At one time, his Grizzo refinery and the Phillips refinery were the two largest in the United States. And it was with this money that Doc Grizzo went on to build Grizzo Mansion for his next wife, the young clerk at the post office, Maggie. Okay,
0: so let's talk about this house for a minute. Uh, um, Hold on. That sounds really shady. Can we talk about that for a second? She was 15 years old. Did 15-year-olds just die, even back in the 1900s? Was that like a thing? They just...
2: Well, I mean, maybe. Uh, There was a lot of deaths, and we don't know if she was in childbirth. I guess probably not. Mm. If they'd have been married six months. But... Seems a little suspicious. I mean, it definitely is suspicious because, I mean, I think even the Seminole Nation at the time, from what I gathered was suspicious of this as well. Mm.
1: Yeah, and you know, there are no accounts that she was like sick with the flu or the croup or something that would have been hard to recover from in the early 1900s. But remember, Doc Grizzo is the town's medical examiner. Mm -mm -mm. So he said she died of natural causes. And despite the fact that, like you said, Mel, the Seminole Nation thought she had, you know, that it was mysterious, they actually thought she had been poisoned. There really wasn't anything they could do about it. I don't feel good about that. No. So despite our feelings about Doc Grizzo, one thing is for sure, he knew how to build a house. And I want to read you the description of the property as written by the listing agent, Kristen Hill. The purest example of Italian renaissance is ready for a new owner. This mansion boasts beautiful detail and craftsmanship throughout its 12,000 plus square feet. The history is just as unique as the mansion dating back to 1928 when W.E. Doc Grizzo built a dream home for his wife, Maggie. Walk through the front door and be taken back through time. Cascading wrought iron staircase, tiled fountain, incredible fireplaces, wood-beam ceilings, crystal chandeliers, one-of-kind doors, and more. Your heart will follow your eyes in amazement. The grounds are approximately 11.25 acres and include a vineyard, 1,600-square-foot garage, in-ground pool and pool house, gazebos, fountains, statues, Courtyard, tennis, and basketball courts, lily and koi ponds, and an arboretum. Guest and servant quarters are two-bedroom, two-bath, two-living, and it comes fully furnished. The Grizzo Mansion is registered on the National Register of Historic Places.
0: Wow, that's a mouthful. Mm-hmm. She did a really good job. Kristen did a really good job kind of making the essence of the home and, and narrowing it down to a short paragraph. Yeah, I totally
1: agree. And, you know, we're going to post some pictures of the house online and on, on our socials. It is absolutely gorgeous. You have to see the solarium. It has this fountain in it that is just breathtaking.
2: Hmm. It, now, I'm it, sorry, it, Oh, no, I was just going to say it, it was really interesting looking at these pictures. It looks to be in good condition and definitely... Um, not, like not fully, I mean, it's been renovated, but not really. I mean, it seems very appropriate for the time period, but um, well kept up. I mean, pictures could lie, but it looks like mm-hmm. that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we've talked a little bit about the Italian Renaissance style of homes before. Most recently, the Spreckles Mansion in mm-hmm. California, which you did, Alana. And that was actually built about 20 years before this mm-hmm. property. Okay. So since we've recently covered this architectural style, let's just dig into the house itself a little bit more. But if you want to recap, that was episode number 18. So Judy Jones, who is the manager of Grizzo Mansion for several years, is quoted in an article saying that the mansion cost Doc Grizzo $750,000 to build at the time. And you all know I'm going to tell you what that would be in today's dollars, but do you have any guesses first?
0: Well, I know for sure it wasn't $750,000.
1: Well, yeah, good good guess. (laughs) I wish. So it actually would have cost about Mm. (laughs) $13.5 million to build today. And Joan says that no expense was spared on the building of the property. Tile was hand-fired in Italy, the ironwork came from Spain, and artisans and craftsmen came from all over the world to work on the property in tiny Seminole, Oklahoma. So, definitely check out our website, which is, of course, linked in the show notes wherever you listen to this podcast to see some of the photos of this home. Um, The exterior is a yellow brick with a red tile roof and expansive porches and outdoor areas, many of which include fountains and large sculptures. A fountain made of Italian tile and set into the wall greets guests as they walk in the front door. All eight fireplaces in the house are gas, and Maggie was known to say that she had carted wood for cooking and heating all her life and never wanted to see another stick of firewood. Hmm. Yeah. So Maggie became quite the socialite by Oklahoma standards, and the Grizzos entertained Oklahoma high society and politicians in the elegant living hall. That said, their affairs must have been relatively restrained, as Maggie was quite religious and a teetotaler who never allowed alcohol
0: to cross her threshold. Mm -hmm. So we wouldn't have ever gone there. No. No. No.
2: So one of the things I heard about in the home description is that uh, it's being sold fully furnished. And I was kind of interested in that. I've seen that in vacation homes. You know, you've seen that at some lake houses or beach houses, Um, but not as much have I ever seen that in residential homes. Um, Have either of you ever sold a house that was fully furnished or why do you think that it's being done this way?
0: Well, I've never sold one fully furnished. There's been pieces of a home that have stayed that would normally be taken, but that's handled outside the contract. That's like a separate bill of sale, so to speak, on it. And I don't know why why they would leave all the furniture in that. Do you have a, are you I speculating? Mean, you know, I am I can see if it's like, works with the
1: style of the home. Maybe it's easier to to leave it. Um, I've sold two properties in my career that were fully furnished. And you're right, like it's a total different bill of sale because of course you can't, Wrap that into your sales contract because it messes with the appraisal. Um, You know, you have to purchase it with cash, not part of the loan on the house. The two I've done have both been larger homes like this one um, that executives from out of town were, you know, moving to town to take a job and probably just didn't really have time to put a house together. And so they're like, yeah, I mean, if you would leave everything here, that'd be great. I'll write mm-hmm. you a check for X. And, you know, in a lot of these bigger, more prestigious homes, everything is so custom that, you know, it's it's not like you can take your drapes or the the sofa that you had measured to fit the living room mm-hmm. with you. You know, it, it's really designed for the space. So right. that, that's probably why they're doing that. Much like lake houses, like people don't want to go in and, you know, furnish them. But
2: Yeah, I think, you know, I've seen some of the lake houses. um it, it makes sense. Like it's very much for that for location. That, mm-hmm. Maybe that style is more country or relaxed. Um, and definitely it makes it more turnkey if you are purchasing a vacation home that mm-hmm. probably has it all there. You're like, I just want to start, you know, go out there day one and be able to to relax. I'm right. not looking to furnish it. But yeah, I saw some of the pictures of the furniture in the, in this home. And it def- they're very historic, kind of grand Beds before a grand room. Mm. So maybe that's why it is. Is, um, you know, a lot of it is antiques, et cetera. I can only imagine, but definitely for a 12,000 square foot house, you know, I oftentimes joke, sure, I'd like to have a big house, but I would not like to have to furnish a big house.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, okay, but yeah, talking more about, you know, this home, Atlanta, it may come as no surprise, given our intro, that many people consider the home to be haunted. I was afraid of that. Yeah, I knew you were. (laughs) So Jones, the former manager of Grizzo Mansion, says she has had several run-ins with paranormal experiences over the years. And once, when showing the house to a prospective bride, she smelled sweet pickles, which Maggie Grizzo was famous for. But alas, there were no sweet pickles anywhere to be found. And other rather innocuous paranormal experiences include the towel warmers heating up despite no longer being plugged in, Lamps turning on by themselves. And there's actually a documentary on the paranormal activity at the house. Mark Williams of Native Boy Productions captured a video of a dark shadow sitting itself in Doc Grizzo's famous chair. So, Alana, you know we have linked that documentary in our show Yeah. Additionally, children often see the ghost of a little boy who tells them that his name is Mecco. Mecco is often seen dancing in the ballroom in the basement. And while we don't know of a child dying at the property, the Grizzos did find the body of a young boy while they were digging the basement of the house, the same level on which the ballroom resides. Oh, dang. Yeah, I knew that one was going to get yeah. you. So Mark Williams, who did the documentary, is quoted as saying, There are a lot of theories out there, but I believe spirits are energy, and I think it's an energy that is at unrest. Before we talk a little bit more about the paranormal, let's go back to Doc Grizzo and the home. So Doc and Maggie went on to have 13 children, and he died in Seminole in 1955 on Halloween night at the age of 81. His wife remained at the home until her death in 1977, 2 years after the home was listed on the National Register of Historic Places. The Grisso's daughter Pauline inherited the mansion, and despite her attachment to the place, soon decided to sell it, citing the cost to maintain it. Records are sort of sparse after that, but it was listed for auction in 1998, and then again in 2001 with Kenneth and Rose Henderson purchased the house for $725,000. They later sold it to the Seminole Nation of Oklahoma in 2012, and it was used for weddings and other events. The tribe's general counsel voted to dissolve operations and to sell the property in 2019. And the current listing shows that the house has been on the market for about a year or so. I'm assuming it's it's probably been on since 2019, sort of off and on. Um, and, you know, I also imagine like the pool
0: of prospective buyers for this house has to be relatively low. Right. It had to be someone who would love that type of architecture and be prepared for the upkeep of of a home like that.
2: Yeah, I mean, it, it. it is absolutely gorgeous and has huge grounds. But the fact that it is over an hour to the nearest city and kind of out there, kind of remote, it, you're right. I mean, it, it would have to be very specific because at first I thought maybe like to be an inn, um, kind of like a bed and breakfast type of place. But it, yeah, I mean, I, you know, it, it would be a very specific buyer i gotta imagine
0: and because it's on the national register of historic places any sort of extension extensive renovation is going to be heavily scrutinized oh yeah absolutely you know and i'm pretty familiar with rules as they
1: pertain to like historic districts and conservation districts here in dallas um, but i wasn't really sure like what sort of restrictions go along with being on the national register so i did a little research and according to their website since its inception in 1966 more than 95,000 properties that Americans believe are worthy of preservation have been listed in the National Register. Together, these records hold information on more than 1.4 million individual resources, so buildings, sites, districts, structures, objects, and therefore provide a link to the country's heritage at the national, state, and local levels. And so while it doesn't seem like being on the National Register restricts your ability to renovate the home at the owner's discretion, the fact that it's on the National Register and considered worthy of preservation would definitely deter many buyers from undertaking, you know, sort of an extensive overhaul of the property. Interestingly enough, there are actually a variety of grants and tax incentives available from the federal government for maintaining National Register listed properties, which I thought was really yeah. interesting. So, you know, if you're an owner of a building that's listed in the National Register and you're eligible for federal uh, a federal income tax credit of like twenty percent on rehab projects that meet certain standards. Interesting. Yeah. Now, for $1.8 million, this haunted mansion can be yours. So I'm going to ask you, would you buy it? Would you
0: list it? I would list it. I would not buy it. I would not live there. Even if you had to go in it to list it? I think, well, yes. I send my <laughs> husband
1: in. Oh, I like it. <laughs>
0: Take pictures. Explain like everything to me. You're my assistant yeah. for the day.
1: <laughs> what about you, Mel? I saw the pictures. It's pretty cool.
2: Um, I mean, definitely I would list it, If, but I'm also kind of flabbergasted. It's been on the market a lot, and it has a really good description, and it's really cool looking. So So that tells you for sure something's going on in there. Or it's just a really hard property to sell. (laughs) I like how your mind goes to the paranormal, and I'm just thinking, you know, from a business point of view.
1: Supply and demand. What's (laughs) the demand for this house? Yeah. Uh,
2: But... I don't know if I would live there, but if it was a, like, I'd rent it for the weekend if I could.
1: Yeah, I'm with you. I think it could be a really cool event venue of some sort. Um, So, I mean, I would list it. And I think I would live there. I mean, I think it would feel icky considering how Doc gained his wealth. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, probably anywhere in Oklahoma has Mm -hmm. that sort of history. So, The fact that it's been
2: owned for the last few years by the Seminole Nation makes me at least feel like that they've probably gotten the bad juju out of it. Mm -hmm. I'd like to think.
1: I like that. Okay, so while I was doing research for this story, I found an interesting article in USA Today that said a recent study surveyed a thousand Americans. And are you all ready for these stats? Go for it. All right, so one in four Americans has their own ghost story. 55% 55% believe in ghosts, while another 27% affirmatively do not believe in ghosts, and another 16% are undecided. But the survey went on to ask about haunted houses in particular, and it found that 25% of Americans believe they have lived in a haunted house.
0: That's a that's a big number. That's a lot. I mean, we're three
1: of us here. We have one more. We could be like 1 in 25%, that seems.
0: hmm I don't I, I, think, agree. I don't think any of my houses were haunted. I don't think. Why are you looking at me like that? <laughs> do you know something I don't know? No. Well, <laughs> we'll
1: talk about this on another episode, but you did receive that creepy letter. Oh,
0: I forgot about that. Oh, you just reminded me. Yes. I know. Do you want to, <laughs> do you want to tell our is listeners? This, we, I mean, yeah? Oh, yeah. This, okay. Okay, so I got a super creepy letter about 6 months ago in the mail. It was addressed I can't remember because I blocked it out like it happened and I didn't even tell it was so traumatic (laughs) no you told us like two weeks ago like how did you not mention that I know Um, it had our address on it it was postmarked from Denver the stamp and the envelope were not licked it was taped shut Um, and the stamp was taped like as though I had a DNA machine in my (laughs) 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 house I can tell who sent it Um, don't know and I don't know anyone in Denver and a super creepy letter was in there you read it okay
1: Dear current residents of my old house, I hope this letter finds you well. I'm writing to you because I feel a sense of responsibility to warn you about something I experienced while living in that house. There are spirits and bad mojo in that house. We used to sage the house weekly, but we still felt a negative energy lingering. Furthermore, people would often get sick when they visited us. I can't say what caused their illness for certain, but I can't shake the feeling that it was somehow related to the house. We even employed a curandero? I don't know what that is, we should Google that. Yeah. To bless and cleanse our house, but to no avail. I want to caution you not to dig in the yard. I know this might sound strange, but trust me on this. There are things buried in that yard that are better left undisturbed. Also, you might wanna keep those red lockers in place. Who, boy. I know this might sound all a bit crazy, but please believe me when I say that I am not making this up. My family and I went through a lot during our time living in that house, and I wouldn't want anyone else to experience what we did. Please take care and be safe. And it's signed, sincerely, Cooper DeVille. Okay, one that is so creepy. I know. But obviously the first thing I did when you sent this to us was Mm -hmm. like, I... Check the history. Cooper DeVille has never owned Mm -mm. your house. That sounds like a made-up name, right? It does.
2: Yeah, I I Googled it, too. And there are a few Coop DeVilles. I can't quite tell if that's kind of a stage name or, you know, like a a fake name. Uh, My, hey, no. I am always kind of suspicious. Mm-hmm. And so my first instinct was this feels like a form letter. This feels like something um, that somebody had watched. the. There's that TV show about that famous case in New Jersey, mm-hmm. The Watcher, where the current um, homeowners were getting weird, creepy mm-hmm. letters from somebody who supposedly had lived there before. I feel like that's sort of at play here. But that one line in the, in the uh, sentence about the red lockers, mm-hmm. I was like, what is the red lockers? I yeah. Mean, did yeah. you have red lockers <laughs> in the house? When we
0: bought the house, there were red lockers in there. We've, we have pulled them up and they're now in our storage building. Aaron uses it for his tools and stuff. So we did pull those up. And so, and then when when I read the letter, first, number one, I was completely freaked out. I was home by myself. Oh okay. And I immediately sent, I was like shaking, sent a picture to Aaron and my, my mom and sister and. Um and then I was like, oh, now I can't get that pull. <laughs> That's what I thought.
1: <laughs> I feel okay, well, like What did your mom and sister think?
0: They just thought it was really creepy. They all they're they're a little bit skeptical too. Um they didn't think necessarily that, I don't know. It was everyone I've mostly talked to think it thinks it's a prank. I don't get the prank part though. Like I don't see the funny part in it like other than now we're talking about right, it on the well, podcast. Well, true, yeah. Um, I think the
1: weirdest thing for me is it was postmarked from Denver.
0: Yes. And I don't know anyone in Denver.
1: And that it was taped on. And of all people for this to happen to,
2: <laughs> like only you. I know. Yeah. I mean, that's that's the weird part about it is that you actually talk about bad mojo and you talk about bad feelings a lot. So it seems crazy that uh, mm-hmm. anybody this would happen to it would be you. But you've also raved, raised your lovely boys in this house. This house has been nothing but good for you and your family. Well, I
0: don't know that I think about it. Oh, I, I mean, on. I don't know. Maybe things could be, I don't know. Things could be better. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Okay,
1: so going back to that USA Today article I was talking about, it said that 21% of Americans said that if they lived in a house they discovered was haunted, they would sell it. If you knew for certain that there was actually like, something negative energy. I mean, I don't want to say
0: haunted, but would you sell it? Uh, I would. Aaron would not. He'd be like, no, are you crazy? Your husband has also put his own like blood, sweat and tears into that house and remodeled
1: everything meticulously on his own. I mean, it's gorgeous. Yeah, he would
0: never. Yeah, I would in a heartbeat. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Well,
1: okay. So I hope y'all enjoyed this little detour from some of our more serious episodes. Please don't prank Alana anymore. Her, her heart may not be able to handle it. If you know Cooper DeVille. Yeah, if you knew Cooper DeVille. Yeah, let us know. Or tell if you, it's re- not funny. It's not funny. Or if you've received a letter like this, we want to know about it. Yeah. Yeah. And as always, if you're loving the show, we hope you'll follow us on social media. Give us a five-star review
0: on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or just share with your friends. Yes, please share with a friend. And that's a wrap for today. We'll be back next week. Thanksgiving, right? Is next week the Thanksgiving one? Okay. Yeah, so
1: I think we're going to post a little early next week so you can listen to us like Tuesday or Wednesday while you're doing your meal prep. So make sure you have your podcast notifications turned on.
2: Thanks, bye. bye.
1: Okay, listeners, so after we recorded this episode, Melanie watched Martin Scorsese's newest movie, Killers of the Flower Moon, And you know, besides being a very powerful movie with great acting and cinematography, it directly relates to the origin story of the Grizzo Mansion. The original Killers of the Flower Moon book and this recent movie highlight a forgotten past when Native Americans in 1920s Oklahoma gained enormous wealth when oil was found on their reservations. Like the Seminole Nation with the Grizzo Mansion, the Osage Nation at the heart of the movie grew rich with the oil discovery but also were highly exploited. Courts and businessmen effectively colluded to rob the tribal nations of their land and their oil rights through a system of assigning guardians, often corrupt, to oversee and restrict how the tribal members spent their own money. Additionally, it became common for white people to marry into the Osage nation since oil rights could only pass through inheritance. They would marry precisely for the money and not for love. Almost a hundred years later, there are theories that Doc Grizzo came into his land rights through similar shady means. Killers of the Flower Moon details the true story of how Osage Native Americans, once the world's richest people per capita, were systematically killed for their money. The murders were so numerous that eventually the FBI investigated. Sadly, the story had almost disappeared before the book was published, and people, including us, only learned of this time in American history recently.
0: Hey y'all, thanks for listening and being a part of our Crime Estate family. If you're curious about today's featured Crime Estate,
1: you can find additional photos and details from today's episode online at CrimeEstate.com.
0: On Facebook and Instagram by following at Crime Estate Podcast. Have a crime estate we should cover? Let us know. Shoot us an email at Crime Estate Podcast at gmail.com.
1: Until next week.